0: Jewish Money Matters, episode 195, Prosperity Coach Joel Salomon. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women. And from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Ladies, welcome to the show. We've got a new name. How about that? (laughs) It's official. And a new cover art. Did you notice that? Tell me what you think. Yes, we have to change the intro. Yes, we have to change the outro. Want me to change the song? I don't think I'm going to do that. I love the beat, but... Hey, I'm open to suggestions. It's all in the works here. Um, Fill me in what you're thinking. I hope everybody had a wonderful new year. I did. And I'm very, very grateful for the Rosh Hashanah experience. And now we're almost at the end of the 10 days of Teshuvah. Looking forward to Yom Kippur. I know that sounds weird. Who's looking forward to that? But I am. I actually am. I like, I like, uh, I like the holidays. I like the month of Tishrei. I'm looking forward to Yom Kippur. I'm looking forward, of course, to the Sukkot festival to follow and and uh, and that that's it having a really nice time with my family now i want to kick off the year with a very special guest prosperity coach Joel Salomon i should say hedge fund manager turned prosperity coach a pretty major career shift and you know, a combination of approaches to money that we don't see very often. Something changed dramatically for Joel in 2015 um, that led him to leave Wall Street and come work for Main Street, let's say, teaching people like you and I how to become financially free. Listen, Joel was definitely an early adopter of the self-help space, definitely when it came to changing money mindsets and mindset and all that, because we joked in the 1990s, we probably crossed paths in Manhattan. And let me tell you, I was not thinking about my money mindset. In fact, I wasn't thinking about my money at all while everything was piling up on my desk, every important financial statement that I should have been paying attention to um, while I tended to other financial statements like companies and not my own. um, Joel was working on his mindset, on his money thermostat we talk about that today um he's the author of three best-selling books and he's working on his fourth book at the moment um joel is not your average coach as you can tell already we go over the nine rules millionaires use as he's laid them out on one of his books nine rules millionaires use and we dive deep into some of them entrepreneurship what if we don't have the financial runway to go for our entrepreneurial dream yet right and quit our day job as of yet what are some of the financial lessons joel is imparting on his teenage daughters as well as the lessons that he learned as a child paying yourself first what is that about and just as important if not more giving first here's joel solomon Salomon, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. It's so great to connect with you. How are you?
1: I am great. And thanks so much for having me. El. It's great to be here.
0: I- I'm looking forward to this conversation. I mean, this is we're, we're, we're going to just get you introduced to the audience because the truth is that you have a new book out on on money and marriage, right? Infinite love and money, which we're going to get to talk to you about in in an upcoming episode, along with your co-host Molly Sin. Molly Sin, is that how you pronounce her name? Correct. Yes. Yes. And I'm looking forward to that. But the truth is, Joel, you're not new to book writing. You have a couple of titles, bestsellers, I should say, under your belt, right? And so there's so much to explore about your work as a prosperity coach, about your books, the lessons learned, the past. You come from the world of really technical finance. You were a hedge fund manager. So, you know, I want to I want to start, you know, peeling the layers and dissecting. I'm really curious about your previous book nine, the nine rules millionaires use only the unconventional ones. I want to hear all about that. But why don't we get started with how did you arrive at this work as a prosperity coach? Because it's unique. As I told you once I was like, Joe, there's a story here. You were a hedge fund manager, you're an actuary, you manage portfolios for Citibank. I mean, how does that happen that you come in? To this more spiritual side of money, psychological, a little bit more woo woo. It doesn't happen every day. So give us the backstory, Joel.
1: Yeah, th- thanks so much for all the background. And yes, yeah, so the backstory is. I had a dream. Actually, I had a lot of dreams, but uh, a dream in the early 90s was to be a money manager. And I achieved that dream first at Citigroup, as you mentioned, managing almost 700 million at the peak. And then my whole group was laid off in 2012 when there was a law said that banks can't own hedge funds, which gave me the Kicking the butt to start my company. Mm-hmm. So, as you mentioned, I did have my own hedge fund, uh, Salamor, named after my daughters, Lauren and Morgan, and which, by the way, continues to be the name of my company, my prosperity coaching company, Salamor. And so, I I had achieved my true dream, which was to manage money and have my own fund. Mm-hmm. And in December of 2015, I went. To a personal development course. I'm all about learning and growing every day, as I hope you and all your listeners and viewers are. And two things, two things happened at that course that changed my life. The first thing was that we were, we had a guest speaker, and it was a three-day course. And the guest speaker came in to talk to the 200 people about stocks and stock options. Mm-hmm. And when he started speaking about stock options, he made it sound like this is the way rich people get rich. Mm-hmm. You don't need much time. You don't need much money. This is Options are essentially riskless. And yeah, this is how the rich get rich. And I was sick to my stomach. There were 200 people in the room. They knew that I was a hedge fund manager. They were tapping me on the shoulder. Joel, this makes sense. And so I said, let's uh, go out of the auditorium after he's done. And he was finished. We walked outside and I said, please don't do this. He has no idea about your earnings, your cash flow, your tax status, your risk tolerance. And most importantly, he has no idea about your beliefs that you can make money in stock options. By the way, rule number one in the nine money rules millionaires use is when you believe. So that's the first thing that happened at that course. The, the second thing that happened was we were given a wooden board two inches thick, and we were told we we're going to break it with our bare hand.
0: It sounds Are like Tony Robbins.
1: <laughs> so maybe similar. Uh, a lot of fear in the room. We were, we were told for 45 minutes, we were given instructions on how to break the board with our bare hand. We had the holder. And then we had the breaker and we had how to shift your weight and all the mechanics of doing it. Um, The exercise was called obstacles or illusions. Hmm. And on one side of the board, we had to write our biggest obstacle. And on the other side in green, we had to write our ultimate goal. So I wrote my biggest obstacle was raising enough money for my hedge fund for it to be a long-term viable entity. And on the opposite side in green, I wrote my ultimate goal, helping everybody in this room become financially free. Wow. And then I broke that board like everyone else did in that room, went home that night and I couldn't sleep. First, the board, half the board actually was staring back at me, making everybody in this room financially free. And then that guy was in my head. And I realized that if I could ever get up the courage to speak in front of 200 people, because- In December 2015, my biggest fear in life was public speaking. If I could ever get up the courage to speak in front of 200 people, I could be authentic and tell these people the truth, not... Deceive them. So this was going on in my head, 3:30, 4 in the morning, 4:30. Finally, I got up. I went into Manhattan to my office on 54th and Sixth Avenue. I sent an email to my investors, told them I'm giving them their money back. I'm shutting down my fund. I figured out my true purpose in life.
0: Oh my gosh, I wasn't <laughs> expecting this, Joel. Yeah. Okay. So how was that taken? How was that perceived? What were the reactions?
1: <laughs> great, great question. There was crickets, there was radio silence. And so that made it clear to me that I was on the right path. But mm-hmm. there was no response except from my lawyer saying, Joel, you can't do this. It's not the legal way to shut down your fund. We need to send out legal documents and so on. And it did take a number of months. It took most of 2016 to shut down all the legal entities, strike the final net asset value and so on. But I, re- I didn't get one response from that email for weeks. And so I knew that this was the right path for me going forward.
0: So interesting. When you write this goal on the board at that seminar, did it come to you that day at that moment or is it something that you had already um, kind of processed before?
1: I think I always knew that I wanted to help others and be of service to others, but that those words came to me in that moment
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm. to
1: help those people in that room because it was was really sad to me that this guy was taking advantage of them. And uh, I knew what he was doing. He was actually a broker dealer and he would be making money no matter if they made money or didn't make money on the commissions of them trading on the stock options. And uh, most of the people in the room, it was uh, in Orlando, Florida, I'd flown down there and most of the people in that room were, didn't have much net worth, uh, very wow. close to zero, if not zero. And they were spending their last dollar, dollars on this program that he was uh, pitching. And so that, that's what made it so sad to me. And, it, and it, you know that's what I was really sick to my stomach.
0: Wow. So your investors don't really react to this. There's no response. But what about your peers? What about your colleagues, your world? I mean, I'm sure at this point, you have a whole network of really technical people like you, <laughs> who now you're coming out and saying, no, I'm going to teach people how to really um, change your mindset around money and help them build become financially free. Yep. How is that perceived?
1: It was people were like, why are you doing this? You, 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 you've, you, you're living your dream. You, you, this was your goal for so long and and you're living it and doing it. And I, yeah, I don't think they really understood, you know, mo- most people in that world. In fact, I, I was just uh, being interviewed on a for a platform that I'm going to be on, where my book "Deny Money Rules Millionaires Shoes is going to be uh, sold, and the guy was asking me, you know, what you're in this different, completely different world, right? You're, you know, these guys are just mercenaries making money, you know, goal to make money. You know, when I was at Citigroup, my boss told me, you, th- we don't, we don't have goals. You know, you could write up your whole list of goals, but you know, in on this desk. There's two words that your goal is. Make money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's it. You know, it doesn't matter what else you do. At the end of the day, make money. You know, don't they didn't care about how you treated other people, make money. And that was it. And, you know, that didn't really sit well with me. But you know, I, I lived that life for a while because I had, you know, I, I wanted to achieve that goal. But yeah, I don't think people really understood. My friends, my colleagues didn't really understand like this big change. And I believe still to this day, most of them don't truly understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it.
0: Well, it's a very brave move. And the fact that you were able to, you know, just swim against the tide and go for it is is incredible, Joel. Now, let's talk about the nine rules millionaires use the unconventional ones, a, a book that's been on my inside my Amazon cart for weeks. And I finally this morning clicked the buy button. And I'm like, I need to read this book. There it is. Let's talk. That, about
1: that's it. actually me on the cover, by the way, in Machu Picchu.
0: Wow, that is cool. Machu Picchu happened before he wrote the book? Did. So what are the nine rules, please?
1: So the nine money rules millionaires use. Number one, I mentioned already, when you believe.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Number two is trust your intuition.
0: Ah, that's such a hard one. Come on, such a hard one.
1: It is, but I will tell you as a former hedge fund manager, if I didn't trust my intuition, I either lost money or I made less money. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's rule number two. Rule number three is: can happiness buy you money? Not can money buy you happiness, but can happiness buy you money?
0: Ooh. It's a
1: rhetorical question, obviously. Rule number four is: can visualization create financial freedom? Visualize. Oh, I go awesome. through the steps of visual, the specific steps of visualization. Mm-hmm. Rule number five is gratitude. Hmm. Be grateful. Rule number six is giving. Sadaka. Yes. Rule number seven is play the budget game or budgeting. Mm -hmm. Rule number eight is DIY. DIY investing. Do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And rule number nine, maybe the most controversial one, don't diversify.
0: (laughs) Okay. So before we dive in, Joel, they, they, there's so much to, to, to unpack here. How did you arrive at these? At these, Were, Had you been seeing um, uh, coaches? Have you been doing mentoring or this? How did you arrive at the, these nine specific rules? Where, where, where is it being drawn from?
1: My experience uh, as a hedge fund manager, And then as a prosperity coach, so I started coaching really the end of 2016, after my fund was officially shut down Mm -hmm. and from my experience with clients, and then also my own life experiences from a hedge fund manager, you know, believing in your ideas, believing in your investments, you know, trusting your intuition from my experience as a hedge fund manager both at City and, and my fund, mm-hmm. you know, visualizing, you know, that that some of that's from um uh, they, they don't Lee. talk about
0: visualizing in the hedge fund management world. Joel. No.
1: <laughs> but I, I will tell you that I have some very successful hedge fund manager friends who who do put up like have kind of like a vision board of what their goals are for the year, for the month, how much return they want to make what stocks they truly like think are the best ones for the next 12, 18 months. Mm. You know, you know, I have some friends like that who, who actually put their, put their goals up for, and I thought it was kind of, they told me about it. Like I have a goal this month to make this much money. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. That's uh, that's really very specific and focused, but it works. So, yeah, it's both based on my experience. So, I was about to say visualization comes from Mike Dooley, who is one of my mentors. And I I believe everyone should have a coach. You know, maybe that's self serving, but you know, since I'm a prosperity coach, but I think everyone should have a coach, everyone should have a mentor who they can go to with some life questions, with some business questions. So, I I call Mike Dooley my uh, mentor. And I read his book, Infinite Possibilities, after I saw him doing a conference called Playing the Matrix in October, 2016. Mm-hmm. And that Infinite Possibilities, the New York Times bestseller, really powerful book. And in there, it mentions visualization. And so I, I recommend that as one of the nine money rules because it, it really has worked in my life. So each one is kind of you know, I have experiences, I have examples in the book of how I've used these different rules in my life to become very successful.
0: So let's talk about the last two, which, like you said, the last one is the most controversial. And I remember, and for the last one is do not diversify. And the eighth one was DIY, right? Yes. Um, I remember we had a conversation in private and you told me, Yael, Yael, hold on here. Passive investing, investing in index funds, ETFs, it's all nice and good, but it's really not the way to build wealth. And I'm like, wait, wait, I'm listening. And you told me, think about this, Yael, wealth is created for, from focusing on one investment, one type of investment. And I have to say, I agree with you. And I also see a little bit the danger in that, in the sense that it might hold people back, especially maybe women, from actually taking action because they'll wait till the one the time when they actually have the time to focus on this or to learn to learn gain the know-how on a specific sector, specific stocks, specific real estate sectors, whatever that point of focus might be. And as you and I know, time is of the essence here when we want to grow our money or make our money work for us. So where, Joel, is the happy medium? If there is one, or what can you say for listeners about this?
1: Yeah, I I would just say don't diversify. doesn't mean put a hundred percent in one investment. So it just means don't put your investments in 100 or 70 or 50 different types of investments because Mm -hmm. you're diluting the return. I found as a hedge fund manager that my top five to seven stocks in my portfolio made me 120% of my return. Mm -hmm. And I normally had anywhere between 50 and 100 stocks in my portfolio, Some I was betting that were going to go up, others I was betting that were going to go down, but the rest of them got me a negative return on average. So, And that's true pretty much if you look at any mutual fund portfolio manager, the top five to 10 will make them more than 100% of their return. It's really difficult to find more than a handful of stocks each year that will generate 50, 80, 100%. Last year was unusual many stocks did very well from the bottom last you know say March 23rd 2020 until the end of the year but most years it's really hard to find stocks that will double mm. or you know or go up 80 70 80 90%. so there's a handful of them and by putting your investments in 100 or 70 or 50 or 30 you're you're diluting your return. so that's that's what i mean by that so and that's my experience and in terms of focus, I think focus is good. Um, I think it's, you know, fine and, and passion is important too. Uh, I am very unusual as a prosperity coach or a former money manager. I don't tell my clients to put some money in stock, some in bonds, some in gold, some in real estate. What are you interested in? Hmm. What, what are you passionate about? what really interests you and go there. Because if you're not interested at all in real estate, don't invest. I have a buddy of mine who's really interested in stocks and he finds it really interesting to analyze stocks. I have a a client came to me two and a half years ago who his father had gotten the family into a lot of real estate investments, but he Just doesn't want to spend the time. He's not really interested. And when I started teaching about stocks and other investments, he was like, stocks, wow, this is really interesting. So he really likes to understand companies. And I have my five-step proprietary stock screen in the nine money rules millionaires use. It's a very simple five steps. Now, I'm not saying just do that, but it's a good screen Mm -hmm. to screen out a lot of potential risky companies that are not good investments and it doesn't it's not you know i say and i say this in the book if you have a fifth grade math education if you can add subtract multiply and divide you can do the five steps it's not rocket science and it's easily available i i you know if you know if anybody wants you know any of your listeners want the five steps tell you you can email me it's uh, joel at dot com. Or it's on page one fifty two and one fifty three of the book. If you're interested in getting the book,
0: amazing, amazing. So, so getting really practical for listeners, um, what you're saying is find what you're, wh- where you're interested, what you're interested in, and go all in on that. But that's not to discount that if you have access to a retirement account or whatever, you shouldn't be putting something in there in the meantime.
1: Absolutely, although you know. Uh, Charlie Munger, I quote Charlie Munger, who uh, was the chairman of uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Yes. He said, "If you know nothing, diversify." Warren Buffett, CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, just turned 91 a few days ago. Still CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, said that if he could, he would put more than 50% of his net worth in one investment. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yes, if you. If you, can, if you do have access to a retirement account, I highly recommend, especially if you have access to a 401k where the company is matching 100% dollar for dollar up to some amount. We talk about this, uh, Molly Singh and I talk about this in Infinite Love and Money. Yes, I mean, to me, if... If you can put in three percent, you know, say you're making a hundred thousand dollars, and you can put in three thousand dollars into a retirement account, the company's mm-hmm. matching three thousand dollars. You're getting a hundred percent return for free, free before the stock market or whatever market you're putting the money in. So absolutely do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't recommend putting in fifteen percent to get a match on the three mm-hmm. percent. Um, you know, put put in dollar for dollar. Um, Absolutely. But going beyond that, I would say you can find better investments uh rather than just hundred percent diversifying it to some index fund.
0: Now let's talk about I want to talk about your your typical clients, who who are they? But I also want to first address the for we've we've gone through this transition. Um I want to address the the transition itself because it's not like you Decide to wrap up strings and and you know put house in order and return everybody their money and you close shop and the next day you have your first client, and you and I know in entrepreneurship you know there's there's some growth and there's some steps leading up to it and there's certain a certain financial runway that we kind of have to have until we really start replacing our income. And you were probably doing very well for yourself. So why don't you shed some light on what that was like for you?
1: Yeah, I I guess I had absolute faith that this was the right path for me. And I teach my clients hashtag doubt the doubt, doubt the doubt. So why do you have faith in your doubt, have faith in your dreams and desires? And so I did. I did have absolute faith that this was the right path. And, and yes, it took a while. And I will tell you, even today, I'm not making as much as I was making at Citigroup in 2009, 10, and 11. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm loving my day. I'm, I'm being of service to others. I'm helping people and, and, and getting them to financial freedom. So yeah, I, th- I think it's just... Yes, you do have to have some runway. You do have to have some savings. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm actually writing my fourth book right now uh, with um, my accountability partner, Jackie Roberge, and it's called A Purpose and Prosperity. Mm-hmm. And we, we talk about the fact that you, know, you don't have to go like I did. You don't have to like say, okay, I'm shutting it down. And I'm starting this up. You could, if you're working at a company, for example, you could say, you know what, I'm gonna work a couple of hours a day or an hour a day on my dream, my startup business. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, if you don't have enough savings and maybe you you check it out and you say, Okay, I, I can cover my expenses for three months, you may be putting way too much stress on yourself, and it may be better to start slowly mm-hmm. an hour a day with your your dream job your dream your gig your entrepreneur uh, idea and then when it's you do have some clients maybe you maybe if you're being a coach or you're writing a book maybe you have some sales or whatever you're doing you're being a podcast host you know you're getting some followers you know you go onto instagram you go onto snapchat or tiktok and you're getting followers more and more followers then you could say okay i'm going to convert this into some you know, I'm going to make it a full time, but you don't, you don't have to do what I did, which is shut it down. And then, and then start with zero, basically, like I started with zero and had to build it up from zero.
0: Right.
1: So you don't have to do that. But, you know, if, you know, your mind is saying, you know what, I want to live my purpose, you know, this is my purpose. I know what my dream is, and I'm going to go for it. And, you know, some people will say, you know, ta- you know I'm gonna if I only have three to six months of my expenses covered after that, I'm gonna take out some loans. And you know a lot of people have a lot of very, very smart entrepreneurs have gone to their credit cards, which I don't advise, but they've gone to their credit cards and borrowed at twenty percent for to to borrow thirty or fifty thousand dollars to k- keep them afloat for a while until their business gets going. I'd recommend other ways to borrow not from your credit cards.
0: Yeah, and and like you said at the beginning, I mean, there is a point w- whether it come whether you give yourself the cushion or you go all in, there is still that point uh, that leap of faith, right? Like I believe in this so much and I know this is my purpose and my mission and I just, you know, for some of us, I know for my husband it was like I I just need to quit. Like, I just need to leave. You know, I can't do this like half here, half there. I need to go all in. And there is something to be said for that, you know. And to be honest, did we have everything perfectly aligned? Did we have all the savings that we needed to take the risk? No, absolutely not. We didn't have them now. And we didn't have them the first time he started his other business. Sometimes you just have to. Really go all in and believe it. So you know you gotta know yourself. Also, you know some people can tolerate risk um, better than others.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and yeah, it's I, I, I. We we talk in the upcoming book about energy, and you know having split energy may not be helpful too. You know you're starting your new business. You're maybe doing it an hour a day but you're working in your corporation and you're you're disliking it and so your your energy level is lower most of the day and then to get it up for an hour or 30 minutes a day to work on your gig you know that just starting this is split energy that's not really helpful for your own business and if you are having clients that's not really helpful either
0: Absolutely. And this is actually such a timely conversation we just like segue into because they are calling this period in time the great resignation, right? There's there's this movement towards People really leaving their day jobs. I think this pandemic has so many have woken up to the reality that if I'm going to work, I'm going to work on my purpose, right? And I, I, this is not where it's at. So it's very, very timely that you are working on this book. Now, who are your typical clients that, who come to you, you would say, Joel?
1: I don't really have a typical client. It, it really is all over the lot because I teach mindset. I teach money mindset. I also teach DIY investing. Mm -hmm. So I have one client now who's, like I said, is really interested in the stock market and becoming an expert, as much knowledge as I can infuse into his mind based on my 30 years of experience I'm putting into his mind. That takes a while and but he wants to learn everything there is to know about how to analyze stocks not just the five step stock screen but the price targets that you can create which i did as a professional investor not in my books but you know teach him that so that's one kind of client where i'm teaching them how to diy invest be it stocks or real estate or cryptocurrency so that's one type of client right and then there's another client where I talk about this in in my first book, Mindful Money Management. My first clients, one one woman, she came to me. She said she she was seventy seven years old, and she said, "Joel, I'm running out of money." Washington. And I said, "Well, let's go through the numbers. Let's go through the you know." And she, so we went through the numbers. She had uh, investment income of one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year. Not bad. And she in. 2015, she had spent 240,000. Hmm. So she wouldn't tell me. She wouldn't show me her accounts. She just told me, showed me her expenses and her income, but not the dollar amount. I backed into the fact that she had three million dollars. Hmm. And I was pretty sure that she was not going to run out of her her money, even though her life expectancy was probably 15 years. So she had one year of negative cash flow. And that really created this, the scare, actually not her whole life created the scarcity mindset.
0: Hmm.
1: Right. And so we worked on our mindset and, and worked on different affirmations and audio files. And I'm happy to say now that she's, you know, knows that she, she's 80, One or 82 now, and she still has around the same amount of money she had back then. She's not overspending, and she knows that she has plenty of money to live for the rest of her life. So, you know, it can be mindset, it could be DIY investing, it could be working on people who do truly have negative cash flow, who need to improve their credit score. Uh, I had in the nine money rules millionaires use um, ways to improve your credit score. Hmm. And so people come to me for that. So it's really all over the lot. It has been the, it's interesting because I've done both one-on-one coaching and group coaching the last few years. Groups have been much more women and the one-on-one coaching has been much more men. Hmm. And I assume the reason is because the men, most men don't want to say they need help. So if in a group, they're showing themselves, right? Right. Even if it's online, they're showing themselves. Maybe that's showing their face, but they don't want to show that they need help. Whereas one-on-one coaching, maybe they're not exposing themselves as much.
0: Right, right. Joel, speaking of women, you're a father of two daughters, teenage daughters already. Um, what have been some of the financial lessons that you've been intentional about imparting in them? And and what what advice do you have for us as mothers, as parents, as we're teaching our kids about money?
1: That's a great question. So in infinite love and money, I actually have a chapter called your kid's money
0: hmm. and I have
1: an idea to write my next book or the next, next book on uh, mindful money management for kids.
0: Let's do it together. <laughs> yes,
1: definitely. Uh, you know, I, I'd love to partner. So that, that would be my third partnership book because, uh, I
0: love you know, topic. after infinite
1: love and money and yeah, no, it's a great topic. And, you know, I also, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but I've I've created a charity um, to help uh, kids in disadvantaged neighborhoods to become financially literate. Mm -hmm. And it started because one of my clients uh, has two sons and uh, they live in Houston and I'm teaching him and his sons. Awesome. you know, the, the same, the same things. And so I'm like, well, why can't we teach your friends, you know, yes. or others, um, in your, in the neighborhoods in that area. So, so
0: important, so important. What's the name of the charity?
1: Um, it's, it's called, um, prosperity coaching for, no prosperity, uh, charitable giving for prosperity. hmm
0: hmm Okay, we'll stay tuned uh, for that. So, tell us, yes. what should we be teaching our kids, and what have yeah, so, you taught your girls?
1: Yeah. So, I, when we actually have two few stories in my book, uh, in, in Molly Singh and my book, Infinite Love and Money, and when your kids money, your kids money, we talk about. So there, one example is so, uh, my oldest daughter Lauren and I were uh, in Newport, Rhode Island uh, last summer. And she wanted a sweatshirt, mm-hmm. and it was fifty to fifty-five dollars. So I don't know about where you are, but fifty-five here is not the average sweatshirt. It's mm-hmm. it's a little expensive, right? So I said, you know, there's a lot of other sweatshirts you can choose. If you want this one, this is the one you want there are options, right? You can pay for it yourself. We can split it, or you may want me to pay for it. So let's have a discussion. Now she's 16 at the time. So she was working, uh, doing some babysitting. Now she has uh, a job at a um, a restaurant uh, serving. So so she's making more money but anyway the the point being you have you know when you when your kids are teenagers you have you have choices you can just give them money which may be not the best lesson mm-hmm. you can tell them look if something is more than the average price that they have to chip in for it and she you know the child may say wait i that would call, that would require me to work x number of hours babysitting you know for her it was was making fifteen dollars an hour, so it was four hours of babysitting um, for the whole thing. So she said, "Well, you know, that's a lot of hours. Would you have, if I had bought a twenty-dollar sweatshirt, would you have paid for it?" And I said, "Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you twenty. You can pay the rest, and then it's only two hours of babysitting. So you can, if, if, and if the child's not working, it could be." You know, if it's a younger child, you could say, "Well, you know, I'll buy you this." But you know, if you think it's too, you know, if it's not a priority for you and it's more of a priority for your child, then they're not working. You could you could have them do a certain number of things around the house, to to make up that money. Right? right. They're they're helping you with um, you know some service around the house. So there's many ways to go about it, but I I to me it's uh, showing that you to, if something's not a priority for you, if you don't want to spend, you know, for some people like $55, that's a week's worth of groceries, mm-hmm. right? And so spending it on a sweatshirt versus spending it on groceries, like that's a big difference, right? Something that's an essential need versus something that's kind of nice to have. Mm-hmm. So there are lessons to be learned all day, every day with your kids uh, in if you're out with them in department stores, in toy stores, or if you're online, choosing how to spend the money, do you give them? When do you give them debit card? My so another story is, I was uh, with my daughters last summer in uh, Wildwood, New Jersey, in Cape May, and we were on the boardwalk, and my youngest daughter went into a shop, and she had she's a debit card. So she got something for herself and she looked at her phone to look at her account because she can see on her phone, her account, and was so excited to see that the money was already out of the account.
0: Hmm.
1: Now I explained to her that that's not a good thing. (laughs) So the difference between a debit card and a credit card and how, if you, if you use the credit card then and paid it, paid it a month later, then you could actually use that 20 or 30 or $40 for something else, maybe even invest it. And maybe that $40 would make a few dollar return in that month. And then you could pay off the $40 and still have a few dollars left over mm-hmm. as opposed to it going away right away. So there's opportunities to teach your kids in every situation. I believe um, we go into Chipotle and the line's really long do you know Chipotle is a public company? Do you want to look into, is it right. a good stock? Do you want to do the five-step stock screen with me? You know, There's opportunities every day to think about how to make money, how to invest, how to save money, what's the right proper way to spend.
0: Yeah. And it's important that we're having these conversations. And going back to your first example, it's interesting because the way you presented it um, it didn't convey a scarcity mindset. You know, it's not like, no, we can't afford this. It's no, I'm not, I'm not in choosing to invest in that. This is how much I would put on a sweatshirt. If you want that sweatshirt, then you could either come up with the money yourself or buy the sweatshirt for the amount that we're willing to allocate money towards. I'm willing to allocate my money towards because I have other priorities. So, you know, it's important because I often get the question, well, how do we teach them, you know, about the value of money, but we don't want to instill in them this scarcity mindset. And I don't think we have to, I don't think putting boundaries and saying no and giving them the opportunity to understand how we make choices needs to communicate scarcity.
1: Absolutely. And so instead of saying, we can't afford that, how can I we? say to my clients that I said to my kids, that's not a priority today.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And that's- using the words, we can't afford that, that's the scarcity mindset. It's not true. It's not right. True. There's $420 trillion of net worth on this earth. And there was only 1 trillion a hundred years ago. We're creating through ideas, through thoughts, Massive abundance. So mm-hmm. it's not true that you can't afford it. It's that it's not a priority. And exactly. so, you think it's just a different way of thinking. And yeah. you know, I, I teach my clients if you get an unexpected bill, you can you can change your mindset instead of saying, "Oh man," say it's a good thing I'm rich,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or you know, I am a money magnet.
0: Yep. What a great opportunity that I can pay this money.
1: <laughs> Look for opportunities always come my way, and yeah, i um, here's an opportunity that uh, I can. I how grateful I am that this this unexpected money that I that I can choose to pay came.
0: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think. And I, and I think kids, I, I think maybe perhaps we're scared because we have so much learning, but I always say, so learn yourself and learn along with them. Right. And I think also part of that conversation, you could take it a step further and you can actually communicate to your kids what you are actually choosing on allocating your money towards, like just tell them you know, because we're saving for this vacation or this trip, or we, your parents invest part of their money. We don't spend all of it on clothing, you know, have those conversations, or we're looking to buy a new house. It's important for kids to know.
1: Absolutely. And I, I literally was having a conversation with Lauren just yesterday. I was asking why she's working because she's you know 17 now and she's actually going to be doing babysitting and working at this place mm-hmm. and she said because I want to save money so I could spend in college I said, "Well, you want to save money so you can invest and spend in college." And she's yeah. like, "You know, well, let's go through more stock ideas." You know, she wants to, she wants it wants she wants it to resonate with her, right? So mm-hmm. she doesn't want me to just give her ideas, but she she wants to feel the energy and feel the passion, like I yeah. taught, teach my clients about. And one more example on the kids' money, my youngest daughter. This is uh, infinite love of money as well. This uh, this story. So Morgan make works for her mom and. She was making money last summer. And so this story was from last summer. And I said to her, You know, so you're getting this money. What do you, who are you giving it away to? And she said, Dad, what are you talking about? And I said, Come on, rule number six of the nine money rules. Morgan actually read my book, The Nine Money Rules, believe it or not, it's when nice. she was 13. So she, I said, Morgan, you remember rule number six. She's like, Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm a kid. I said, Morgan, it's never too early. It's not, I don't like to use never, but it's not too early to start. Why not start? You're making X dollars a week. I said what resonates with you right now? What, you know, particular uh, charity or wh- what where would you want it's your choice. Where would you want to give? And her immediate re- response was Black Lives Matter. That's what I'm going to give to and I was like that's awesome, you know, like do that. So the the point being like you can start with the giving early too, right? It's Absolutely. you can start with all of these rules early right? It doesn't mean just because they're, you know, 14 or 13 or 12 that they can't apply some of these rules.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Talking about childhood, let's talk about your childhood because as you know, Joel, so much of our money mindset and the behaviors that we exhibit around money are, were shaped by what we saw and we experienced growing up. Any, what were some of the lessons good or perhaps not so good that you received growing up that stand out as having shaped you?
1: Yeah, I had part of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because, you know, I, I, I grew up the same way 99% of the world did. We can't afford that. Money doesn't grow on trees. Mm-hmm. That's too expensive. All those words. I got screamed at if I left the light on mm-hmm. in my bedroom when we left the house. Joel, we're not a shareholder of Long Island Lighting Company. Shut that light off. You know, and I think most people were brought up that way, that scarcity, limited, poverty conscious mindset, and it didn't serve me. I actually have a story in, in Infinite Love and Money about how my parents were arguing about money. Hmm. They had a really bad fight when I was nine or 10, and my mom walked out, and I thought she wasn't coming back,
0: wow.
1: and it was because of money, um, so... Imagine if you know you were brought up where your parents fought all the time about money. Mm-hmm. That is ingrained in you, and maybe you have this subconscious belief that if I accumulate money, it's going to create fighting or arguing. So subconsciously, it's impacting your ability to bring in money and then retain it. Mm-hmm. So that that's important to know, and in fact. I go through a financial freedom survey with my clients as intake before I actually start working with them. so like they can understand and we can understand together what their subconscious beliefs are around money. Now, some people have literally come to me and said rich people are evil.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And there was a woman who came to me from Europe and said that that's, that's, what we are taught, if you watch the movies, the TV, and I said, you know, I, I that was right when I started coaching 2016. I started looking for it and I was like, oh my God, this is true here in the United States too. If you look at almost every movie, and I would point out to my kids five years ago, four years ago, when we go to movies together how is the rich person depicted in that movie? Mm -hmm. Oh, evil. Oh, like the evil rich person, you know, the Scrooge, right? And so you're taught that subconsciously, even if you don't really understand that you are, and that's impacting how you view rich people.
0: Right. How would, why would you want to be rich? You're not evil, right? It's contradictory.
1: So you, so you you have this push and pull, right? It's like, okay, well, I'm a good soul. So, should I be rich and be evil? No. So, that, that, that what, you know, some clients have come to me with that, and we have to unravel that. And, and we use affirmations and audio files to you know, just change that negative programming.
0: Hmm. So that 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 incident that you revealed about your childhood, you know, it's very interesting because at that age we make these. I remember Barbara Stani explaining this to me one time. We make a decision about money at this very early age, nine years old, right? And we don't even know we made that right, and we act upon that decision. And it's until you gain that awareness that you can trace the dots and say, "Oh, this is why I behave." like this. And this is why I overspend, or this is why I get myself in debt. This is, you know, there's so much here to unpack. It's interesting because in your case, you did very well for yourself. So, you know, I don't know, but.
1: Well, I reprogrammed myself. So I was, I was, I became self-aware.
0: You think of you what became the, self-aware early on enough in your, yeah, in your adult yeah. life? Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I, I do remember, in fact, uh, taking a course. I, I'm all about learning and growing. So I've taken a ton of personal development courses in my life. And one of them in the 90s was about this money thermostat. Yeah. And how my I, – I remember my dad, you know, is still living at home in the – It was probably early '80s, and he was. I remember he had just gotten his tax return back, and he. We were in the kitchen, and he showed my mom that he made ninety thousand dollars, and it was probably nineteen eighty-five or eighty-six. You know, if you inflation adjust that today, it's probably like three hundred thousand, right? So he, at the time, he had that's a very good living. Right. And so he was very happy. It was his best year ever. And so I heard that. And then when I started working a few years later, that was kind of my goal. And I achieved that at age 27. I was making 110,000 at age 27. And then what happened? I decided to take another job and got a pay cut and went down to 75. Ooh. And then a few years later, it went back up to one hundred and twenty, and take another pay. So it the took me uh,
0: right. Like I right. can't outdo my father. Yeah, I can't this, do like, this at yeah. twenty-seven. It took right him a exactly,
1: lifetime. right. And so, yeah, it took him a lifetime. And but I didn't ever inflation adjusted in my mind. It was always ninety, right? Mm-hmm. Until I finally realized what I was doing, and then I broke through, through and 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 significantly. But it was interesting to have that bit told to me, you know, a few years later and say, you know, that's my cap. And I couldn't break through until, okay, be conscious of it. And no, you're worthy of so much more. There's an infinite amount of wealth in the universe. And just because you know you looked up to your father doesn't mean that, you know, inflation adjusted. You could be making multiples and multiples of that. And you're doing something different. And he he was worthy and, and valued what he was doing and you're worthy and valued for what you're doing.
0: Right. You were definitely ahead of the curve, Dole, because in the 1990s, <laughs> I was working in Wall Street. I mean, I, you were you were in Park Avenue, right? Were you in Citicorp then?
1: I I was actually no, I that was later, two thousand eight. Okay, I
0: was across the street. But I was was
1: I was in Midtown in uh, the nineteen nineties. We were were probably like walked by each other on
0: the street. Yeah, we probably (laughs) did because I was at two seventy Park Chase, J P Morgan, and I gotta tell you, nobody was learning about money thermostats and none of this stuff (laughs) back then. But Joel, you were, and you were working on yourself. I wish I had been. Let me tell you that. Um, What about financial failures? I mean, you a success story but uh, come on we've all made those mistakes what's one of those that you're like I can't believe I did this
1: yeah well I the, I talk about this in the nine money rules millionaires use when I was starting my hedge fund I a lot of people wanted to give me money mm-hmm. uh, with leverage and mm-hmm. I decided not to but then in 2015 we We really need, in order to, like, I wasn't paying my employees 100% of their compensation, what they should have been paid because we weren't of scale yet. Mm -hmm. And I felt bad. So I took in money with leverage, which meant that I put in a certain amount of money into a fund and the the fund of funds gave me 10 times that amount. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so if I lost 10%, I was the first lost position which meant that if Mm -hmm. 10% of the total monies went away, a hundred percent of my monies went away. So I, I was against this for the first few years, but I realized in order to pay my CFO, in order to play my analyst, a full salary, I needed to do something. And this is what I did. And then nine months later, the, we had, there was, um, Brexit, the initial Brexit discussions, and I lost over a two-day period. The fund lost six percent. Ooh! So I lost sixty. <laughs> so it's ten times leverage,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so I lost sixty percent. And yeah, lesson learned. I knew I knew about financial leverage, and you know, to me the lesson was clear. But I, in fact, I this is in the chapter on on trust your intuition, because my intuition was screaming at me, don't do this. Mm. I didn't listen. I was, I really was being of service to others, which was, you know, I wanted to pay my employees hundred percent what they would do. And unfortunately that, that backfired. So I got to listen to your intuition. Trust your gut.
0: Right. Which was a good thing. You wanted to pay them what they needed to be paid on time, but what would have been other better ways to come about that money?
1: oh Looking yeah I, I raise, raise it without leverage right I could have gone to try tried working on I and we did we were, we were trying to market to other companies uh, other insurance companies other asset managers other private equity firms but it was taking a while it was a slow process and it could have happened but it wasn't happening as quick as we wanted to and so I knew this money would come quick too like once we signed the contract they would bring the money in and in four four to six weeks and we have it to invest. So that was another, but yeah, we could have gone out to others. Um, I could have continued to pay them a portion of what they were making uh, what they should have been making and and done it for another six months or a year. So there are other options.
0: Hmm. Now, are there any financial habits that you practice, let's say, quote unquote, religiously that impact your finances. What, what what are those financial habits?
1: Well pay yourself first
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, is, is, a, is a good one. You know, budgeting is another. Just know, you know, if you don't know where your money's going, it's really hard for you to know when you're going to be financially free, um, how to get there. So you know I I really push my clients to pay themselves first and to at least do a budget for a few days to see where the money's going, what the excesses are. And you know paying yourself first can be really powerful you know it it's taking money off the top even if it's just a few dollars if it's $5 a day and start investing it because over the year that's $1800 right, right? and then you could you could put that $1800 in an investment and over a few years that $1800 becomes $18,000 mm-hmm. so just a few dollars a day can make a big difference and and in, the, in both infinite love and money and the nine money rules millionaires use, I have the budget game. So we make budgeting a game. We make it fun. So oh. I'm all about you know changing your thoughts around money from scarcity and lack to eagerness and fun. Mm-hmm. So play a game, play the game, and it becomes fun. You actually, one of my clients literally was like running to the mailbox to see what the next bill is that she could put in her spreadsheet. She played this game for two weeks and she manifested literally a hundred thousand dollars.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. I gotta do this. But one minute, what what is the game? Is the game can I stick to the to the plan? Is the game, you know, how much can I can I even beat the plan? Let's say I budget that I really should, you know, allocate five thousand dollars. Like what is the game? <laughs>
1: so the game is you put together a spreadsheet and you first like put rank from highest to lowest the monthly expenses, and then you take any expense that has an outstanding balance mm-hmm. and whatever the monthly payment is, assume it, Say it's a credit card balance that you're not paying you know, the full amount off each month, you have a balanced outstanding and you're paying $20 a month, double it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's an affirmation you use in the budget game as well, which is pretty powerful. So you do this affirmation and along with just doubling, even if it's $10, double the $10. And you may say, I don't have enough to pay all my bills. What am I doing paying this, this one double? Well, you're changing your mindset by doing that. You're changing the belief system and the mindset. And so all that goes into playing the game and just making it a game because life is the game at the end of the day, right? We're, we're here for an adventure. We're here to have fun. And we're here to thrive. We're not here to just survive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're here to grow and push ourselves out of our comfort zone. I, I, like, I, I like that a lot. I really like that a lot. And it goes back to also similar to that analogy. I mean, I'm sure you've heard it from Mike Michalowicz about the toothpaste, right? It's like the idea of paying yourself first, um, you know, people often think, well, I can't really save or invest because I really need the money. Well, if you would pull it out first, you are going to figure out
1: <laughs> how to right. make
0: it with the other percent that's left yeah. in the bank, right? Otherwise, exactly. it's just going to go. So uh, talking about one of your nine rules um, is giving. And as you know, this is one of the, you know, in this show, we talk a lot about giving because it's something really particular to what I call the Jewish financial paradigm. We just talked about paying, paying ourselves first. I always say pay yourself first, but there's actually something that we do even before that, which is giving charity to tithing, really what we call in Hebrew Miser, right? And we talked about teaching that to our kids um, and the the impact it has, not just on the receivers, but also on ourselves, right? Becoming used to being givers and how that impacts our abundance mindset. And there's so much here. Um, let me ask you two questions on that. When it comes to giving, and you spoke about that charity in Houston for your for your client, um, whether it be your Tzedakah money, which is anything above and beyond that tithe, and it also includes, um, you know, other resources other than money, or it could be your Meister money. Where do you like to give, Joel, when you do give?
1: So my favorite charity, besides contributing to the charity I'm creating right now, which is to help children around the globe who are disadvantaged become financially literate and financially free, is uh, the Food Bank in New York.
0: Mm. Uh, I've been giving
1: to the New York City Food Bank for many years. Nice. So that, that's my favorite charity right now.
0: Nice. And my follow up question to that is when it pertains to your students, your coaches, this concept of being a giver, how, you know, how important do you think it is for them to get into this habit of giving consistently, um, which is really hard for some people, like it's, it's hard to say to, you know, you made 100% and now you're stuck with 90. It takes a real shift in a mindset.
1: Yeah, again it's it's the same thing like paying yourself first as you intimate it right I I being an entrepreneur what I do is whenever I get money in so I give each month but whenever I get money in 10% goes to my charities there so I just goes. do it automatically and Sir John Templeton who some say was the best investor of all time he started the Templeton funds with just a few thousand dollars and sold it to the Franklin funds for almost one billion dollars in the 1990s, he said that he hadn't met anybody who hadn't given at least 10 percent of his earnings each year over a 10-year period, who didn't have massively more wealth at the end of the 10 years than at the beginning. Up. And I know what you're thinking.
0: It says' so like:
1: <laughs> So if I give my money away, how do I have more? I have less money, How do I have more money? And I tell everyone I talk to, money is just energy. And by putting that money out into the world, it must flow back to you and usually multiples. Absolutely. So put it out there into the world give.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So Listen, I I, I don't need the evidence. I, I, it's, it's what we learned. God said it. You, you do right. it. I stand by this promise. You will be wealthy. You will not lose. And and you mentioned the key word here, which is automated, right? I do the same thing. Money comes in, 10% goes into a giving account. And from there, it goes to deployed to the charities that I'm passionate about at the moment or the people that I know need my help. Um, but it's getting to that automation. And, and we do this with Paying ourselves first, right? Investing. Right. Automate everything as much as we can, right? Yep. Yep. All right. So let's wrap it up with what I call Jewish money matters fill in the blanks. And this is where I'm going to give you an open-ended sentence, and you'll just finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. All right, Joel? Sure. All right. I'm Joel Solomon, and I'd love to make more money because…
1: I'd love to make more money because I can help more people become financially free.
0: Mm, nice. Something I wish I'd learned about money growing up is…
1: Something um, I learned about money growing up is that there's, it's almost infinite. There's an almost infinite amount of money out there. And we, we, we were, ta- we're taught lack, we're taught scarcity, but th- it's an abundant universe, right? There's yes. an abundance amount of breaths, there's an abundance amount of sun, and there's an abundance of everything in this universe, and we're taught the opposite
0: absolutely absolutely yes and and the creator of the world is abundant and his world is abundant and that's the source of the money so there's for everybody and something really interesting about this you know that people really struggle with and we alluded to this when we're talking about charity is that just because somebody else has doesn't mean that you they're taking from you, right? There is for everybody. There's plenty. So stop worrying about everybody else. Focus on your mindset, on your habits. There's plenty. All right. Money, Joel, spiritual or physical? Spiritual. Mm, Nice.
1: Money is energy.
0: Mm Yeah. Yep. Um, and we can do so much in the physical world with it. So <laughs> let's tap into it. Something I splurge on unapologetically is? Massages. Oh, good for you. <laughs> Joel Solomon, spend for or saver?
1: Saver and investor.
0: Mm. Nice. Were you always like that?
1: Yeah. I have tons of stories and uh, both Nine money rules and infinite love of money about growing up and and my money experiences. So it's uh, I have a lot of great stories.
0: Amazing. We're gonna have to get our hands on the on all your books. Gratitude, Joel. We talked about this. It's one of your money rules today. I am most grateful for
1: my daughters, Lauren and Morgan, who are in back of me.
0: Nice. And finally, I'm Joel Solomon, and I believe Jewish money matters because
1: um, giving giving you know, we're, we're taught giving and that that's really important And by the way my daughters they have taught me unconditional love that's mm-hmm. why i i adore them and i'm so grateful for um well i don't know if i created them or they created me but uh we're all in this together
0: we're all in it together and parenting is such a growth experience. But for you, Joel, Joel, it's been such a pleasure. I look forward to continuing this conversation and delving into the topic of marriage and money. Um, joining us uh, will be your co author in your latest book, infinite love of money. So now I have to catch up on my reading of all your books. But till then, tell us, how we can work with you, where we can find you.
1: Yeah, so it's solemnmore.com. Uh, again, named after my daughters, Lorna Morgan. So it's S-A-L-O-R-L-A-U-R-M-O-R.com. Uh, everything's there. There's uh, free affirmations, audio files, uh, my recommended books, my recommended music, my recommended travel, everything's there. Uh, and you know, if you want to get in touch with me, you can reach out to me there. I'm also starting a Money Miracles membership. It's starting September 8th. Looking forward to helping more people become financially free.
0: Nice. Joel Solomon, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to Joel Salomon for stopping by. You can reach Joel at Joel at Salamore.com to get his five-step stock screen system. You can also find him on his website at salamore.com. That is S-A-L-A-M-O-U-R. You can find his latest book, Infinite Love and Money, as well as the Nine Rules Millionaires Use, which we discussed today. You can find that on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. We will go back to regular schedule with a full week of episodes once the holidays are over, as these weeks, as I mentioned in the Introduction. I'm focused on having all the kids home, family enjoying the whole family experience and time during the month of Tishrei. You can still send me your questions for the Ask Yael episode, which I will of course answer during one of our upcoming Ask Yael episodes. You can send those via Instagram at Jewish Latin and/or email me at yael at Jewish Latin Princess. And who knows? Maybe we'll have a new intro to the show. And then you know, by the end of the month of Tishrei, let me know what your thoughts are about that music. I asked to you before that would be nice to have that settled and um, do let me know what you think about the cover art I'd love to hear and if you benefited from this episode and this conversation can you leave a review and rating and yes I know you can it's super easy and it's super helpful and how about you share it with a friend who might benefit from the conversation that Joel and I had today as well click on the link on your podcast app and whatsapp it to a friend or text it to them you never know how that might change someone's life I want to take this opportunity to wish you all a gemar hati. May you be inscribed in the Book of Life for a happy, healthy, and very prosperous new year. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love.